You are listening to the Bellator Christi podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. several weeks, of course, uh, you know, excluding, of course, homecoming, we'll look at a, at, a, at a very interesting, interesting man by the name of Stephen. Stephen was one of the first deacons of the church, and he was also the first martyr of the church. And so today we're going we're gonna to learn a lot about Stephen. St- uh, Stephen, he brings a powerful message. We're not going to look at the message itself. We're going to look at that over the course of the next few weeks we have together. Uh, but uh, today we want to look at the life of Stephen. Uh, Stephen's message, we're going to probably break it up into three or four parts because it's such a big, powerful message that he brings. But today we want to look at his life. Uh, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, and then we're going to jump ahead at chapter, to chapter 7, verses 54 through, six, uh, through 60. So we want to encourage everyone who can and is able to please stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. Today we're talking about looking at the life of Stephen. We're, we're talking about a man who faced life with integrity. No matter what came his way, no matter what happened, he faced life with integrity because of, of the, the salvation he had in Jesus Christ, of the man who, who Christ had made him to be. And in fact, it's Stephen who, who played a great role, I believe, in uh, the life of one Apostle Paul that we'll learn about later as we go through the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, and then we're going to flip over to chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. Uh, We're picking up in verse 8 in chapter 6. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, freedmen, uh, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men uh, to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God, which were obviously not true. 
And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law again, which were lies. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him and saw his face as the face of an angel. There was something special about this Stephen. He had the presence of God all over him. And so we, we, we pick up in, uh, coming up next week and, and, uh, and then excluding the week we have for homecoming, our, our next series of messages will be on this message that Stephen delivers in chapter 7, verse 1, all the way over to, chapter, uh, to verse 53. Now in verse 54, we pick up the conclusion of the matter. When they had heard these things, when they heard the message that Stephen had delivered to them, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. They were furious at him. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This made them only angrier. And they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. This man named Saul is one who will later become Paul. Okay, Today's atheists may be tomorrow's Billy Grahams. (laughs) Today's unbelievers may be tomorrow's great evangelists. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and and praying and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Now that sounds very familiar. You remember who said something like that? It was Jesus himself. As Ashley was telling us in children's church, how many times do we forgive? Seventy times seven. It's not easy. But he says, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which is biblical language saying that he died. To kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the man known as Stephen. And we thank you that his record, the record of his life, is given to us in the holy pages of Scripture. And Lord, today we just ask, Lord, for a special insight, a special blessing, Lord, that you would just allow me to simply speak the words that you would have for us to hear today. Hold back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in and through it all, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. Story time can, can be a lot of fun at night. And when you're reading to your kids, uh, and, and a lot of times people will read to them children's stories, and then sometimes people will read uh, to their children Bible stories. But sometimes when you combine the two, it can, can become a little bit problematic. And that's what one mother found one time as she was reading traditional stories to her little girl. And her little girl loved the stories of Goldie Blocks and the Three Bears. She loved that story. She also really loved, really loved the story of the Three Little Pigs. Remember the story of the Three Little Pigs? 
You know, the wolf comes knocking and, you know, uh, they said, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin, you know. She loved that story. Well, the mother read to her daughter the story of, uh, of the three little pigs and then read to her a passage of Scripture in Revelation uh, chapter 3, verse 20, where Jesus comes knocking at the door. And it's often imagined that Jesus knocks on the door of a person's heart. And the mother asked her little girl, she said, if Jesus is knocking at your heart's door, will you open the door and let him in? To which the daughter replied, not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. Now, obviously, the mother had to go back and tell her, you know, the Bible is true, these other stories are not. So, so she later had to explain that. But it's interesting how things can get twisted in our lives. And so many times when we look at life, when we look at ministry, when we look at uh, the, the, the anger that we may face from other people, from, from the world around us, and as we've mentioned several times, that if you're a Christian, you're not going to be favored in the world. Amen? You're not going to find favor with the world. Uh, as, as Stephen faced this malice of society, as he faced the ministry, as he even faced his death and martyrdom, he faced it with great integrity. And Stephen leaves behind for us a legacy that we too may live life with integrity, no matter what may come our way, that we would be living examples of Christ and that we would have integrity, just not only as Stephen had, but as Jesus himself had today. Stephen displays integrity in three different ways, and we encourage you to follow along with us in the insert of your bulletin. We're going to see that he faced ministry with miracles. We're going to see that he faced malice of society with meekness. And we also find that he faced martyrdom with great mercy. Well, let's take a look at this. Number one, Stephen displayed integrity as he faced ministry itself with miracles. Stephen did not set out to be uh, the, the next uh, 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 great speaker in the world. He didn't set himself to be uh, the next... Uh, Aristotle or the next uh, motivational speaker or something like that. He set himself up simply to do the work of God. And we can learn a lot from that, amen? You know, I think a lot of times, uh, so many times I think we want to be the rock stars. We want to come to, you know, preachers, they want to stand up and they want to be the rock stars. And, and musicians will want to come up, they want to be the next rock stars to be known of the world all over. But, but Stephen was one who came to the ministry of Christ, who relied not upon himself, but upon the power of God. He was able to do the miraculous, not because of what he had within himself, but because of the power living in him. And that power, of course, was Jesus Christ. In verse 8 of chapter 6, we see that Stephen had a, a ministry of grace. He did mirac miracles through the ministry of grace. We find that he was full of faith or full of grace and power. This grace, charis in Greek, means one who has a favorable attitude towards someone or something. Stephen had grace upon uh, other people. He had faith and trust upon other people because he had faith and trust and the grace of God living in him, which was found in Jesus Christ. When you have a relationship with Christ, your whole attitude towards the world changes. You see the world through a different lens. Well, John and I were talking about this, this very thing this morning. 
Uh, as we look at the world, we shouldn't see people uh, according to the color of their skin or from where they've grown up or things of that nature. We should see people as Jesus sees people and that they are a work of God. Amen? That they are in the image of Christ. They are made with a purpose. And I want to tell you, I really truly believe this. I believe that God loves every single person on this world, in this world. I really do. And I believe God desires to save each and every person in this world. It's not his desire to send anyone to hell. It's his desire to save people. That's why he sent his son Jesus. So we see that, that Stephen was a man full of grace. This grace bestowed upon Stephen is also linked with the term power. That the power that Stephen had didn't come through his own body, didn't come through his own self. It came through the living work of Jesus Christ in him. The ability to do something great doesn't just come within our own power. It comes within the power of God. As the scripture tells us, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Without God, no one has any power to do anything in the spiritual world. Outward power only comes from an inward feeling, and that inward feeling is through the Holy Spirit of God. I, I've always loved weightlifting. I've always loved weightlifting. And in high school, I loved weightlifting. Um, and I, I remember uh, working out with, uh, with, uh, with some guys on the football team. And I remember that some of those guys, they got pretty big. You know, they were pretty strong. They were pretty big. And I got to thinking, I thought, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm going in here, I'm working out, I'm doing all these things, and, and how is it they're, they're, they're growing so much greater than I am? What's going on? Until I realized they were eating and consuming an exorbitant amount of protein. You see, I was working out, but I wasn't eating enough protein to rebuild the muscle that I was tearing down in the weight room. You see, if you want to get stronger, you have to eat the right nutrients. You have to eat the right foods. You have to consume the right things. Those proteins build the muscle. They, the weightlifting you do is one thing, but those proteins build the muscle to provide you strength. Beloved, the same thing applies in, in the walk of ministry. If we are not daily daily filled with the Holy Spirit and directed by the Holy Spirit, we're never going to make an impact for the kingdom of God by our own efforts. You take a person who tries to work hard and do it by their own power, they may see a few things done. But you take a simple individual working in and through the power of God Almighty and you will see great things done. It's like D.L. Moody. There wasn't anything fabulous or, or, uh, or, or wondrous about him personally. In fact, many people asked, how is it you're seeing such a move, uh, so, so many people come to faith? In fact, one lady asked him one time, says, how is it your church is growing as it is? How is it that so many people are being saved? And he says, I'll show you the secret. And she, he took her down to a boiler room. Where at that boiler room, they had a circle of great saints of God praying over the service and praying over each person that came in. It was built, it was a ministry built upon prayer. It wasn't by D.L. Moody's efforts alone, but it was by the Spirit of God that was filling him, using him, and glorifying the work and ministry that he did. That shows us also that it's a ministry of God. We see the fact that he is said that he did great wonders and signs among the people, but this is only possible if you have God working in and through you. Jesus tells us that, um, he says, For truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, and that's the smallest seed, one of the smallest seeds you'll ever find, 
If you have this faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you if you have the Holy Spirit of God guiding and directing your steps. Nothing shall be impossible for you. You know, there's a lot of talkers, many nations, North Korea especially now, they're desiring a nuclear weapon. Why are they desiring a nuclear weapon? Think about it. Because they think that that weapon will give them power. They think that weapon will give them prestige. They think that they can use that as leverage to say, if we have this, we're going to force you to do this or that. That's why many nations get nuclear weapons now, because they think it gives them power. But I want to tell you that there's a power greater than any nuclear weapon ever conceived. You know what that power is? It's the power of God. You think about it, you take every nuclear weapon and every potential power that's found in every nuclear weapon together, and it's not even a drop in the bucket compared to the ocean of God's power. If you have God on your side, the Bible says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper because of the power of God working in you. We have the greatest power of all time at our disposal. We have the power of God. And many times, as James tells us, we have not because we ask not. Do we seek the Lord's power? Do we desire the Lord's presence in our lives? We need, to, we need to seek this out. We need to ask Him, and He will give it to us at His own will. Number two, Stephen displayed integrity as he faced malice with weakness in verses 9 through 15. You'll see that the individuals, they formed all kind of lies against Stephen. Stephen was simply preaching the word of God. And these adversaries from the Sanhedrin, from these religious authorities, they were garnering up all these lies about Stephen, all the things they could muster. And it's the very same thing they did with Jesus, is it not? They tried to formulate every lie in their power to, to stop Stephen from doing what he was doing. But we see a couple of things about Stephen. Instead of fighting back, instead of, instead of striking back with malice, he struck back with meekness. We see that he was meek in his approach in verses 9 through 14. We, know, we see that many people came from all around. We see that this uh, Freedman synagogue was, was a synagogue composed of slaves who had worked themselves out of debt and had now become freed individuals. They were composed of, of Hellenistic Jews. Uh, they were composed of Cyrenians from northern Africa, Alexandri Alexandrians who were highly in intellectuals from Egypt, uh, Sicilians who came from northeastern Mediterranean, and Asians who have come from Asia Minor. Cici uh, Cilicia was um, the capital of, uh, of Tarsus, or excuse me, the capital of Cilicia was Tarsus, uh, which was Paul's hometown. So Paul was probably one of the accusers against Stephen. Paul was initially one of the individuals who were, who were launching all these accusations against Stephen, most likely. But despite the opposition Stephen faced, Stephen didn't strike back with hatred, did he? He didn't strike back with anger. He struck back with the wisdom of God. The Bible says that if, that if we strike back with love, with kindness, and I'm paraphrasing here, it's like, it's like pouring ashes on someone else's fire. You see, if, you, uh, if, if someone comes at you and you strike back in a hostile manner, you're just escalating the problem. I've heard Philip use the word de-escalate the problem and on the police force that uh, if, if, you use, if you use kindness, you can de-escalate the problem, you can bring someone down. But that's the same thing that Stephen did here. He didn't strike back angrily. He didn't strike back in that manner. He was very meek in his approach. He came back 
stood against them with the wisdom and the power of Almighty God. You know, sometimes, and I've had, I've had, uh, and Mom knows who I'm talking about. I'm not going to mention his name, but I've had, we've had family members who have, uh, who have, and, and the one I'm talking about has gone to be with the Lord. He, he passed many years ago. Love him to death, but he used to brag about telling people off. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> she knows what I'm talking about. Used to get together and have some of his friends, and they would used to brag. This one person said something, but boy, I put them in their place. I said this and I said that, and bragging about that. And I'm thinking, was that really the best approach to use? <laughs> Probably not. Why is it we do that? We do that so many times. I told someone off, but a beloved, understand this. Understand this, that's only going to escalate the problem if we use those tactics, is it not? If we see people as they really are, and I understand, I understand completely. Some people are easy love, some people are a little, it takes a little more effort. <laughs> Amen? It takes a little more effort. But when a person is saved by God's grace, the person is filled with the Spirit of God. That means you have access to the wisdom of God at your disposal. Jesus told the disciples that when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you're going to speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour because it isn't you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father who is speaking through you. Don't meet opposition with hostility. It's going to escalate the problem even worse. Rather, meet opposition with the wisdom of God. Meet opposition that you face with the love and kindness of Christ. And understand, if someone misuses you and mistreats you, turn that person over to God. Say, God, I want you to work in that person's life. And you know what? He will. He will. Because it's not our desire. It's not our desire to destroy someone else. It's our desire to bring someone else to the Lord. It's our desire as Christians to build up one another, not to tear each other down, but to build up one another. But he was also, we find, meek in his appearance in verse 15. In verse 15, we see that he had the appearance of an angel. As they were launching all these accusations against Stephen, Stephen stood there. He didn't become angry. He demonstrated by his appearance that he was innocent of the charges. And then he delivers this powerful message that will begin next week. And, and it'll take us several weeks to get through this message. This message is amazing what, what Stephen gives, what Stephen provides. But we see, but we see that Stephen was innocent of all the charges. His expression showed two things. One, that he was innocent, but it also showed that he had been in the presence of God. I think you can tell when someone's in the presence of God or been in the presence of God. I know my wife has told me she can tell whenever I'm, I'm more faithful in my devotional time with the Lord because uh, things don't bother me as much when I take that time on regular occasions to spend with the Lord. But whenever I slack a little bit on my devotional life, things bother me a little bit more than they did when I spend that necessary time with the Lord. When Moses came down from the mountain, people saw a glow about his face because they knew that he had been with God. May we have that same appearance in our lives. Last but certainly not least, over in chapter 7, looking at verses 54 through 60, Stephen displayed integrity as he faced martyrdom with mercy. As he was looking at death square in the face, Stephen could have been very angry at this time. Stephen could have faced death and lost every bit of integrity he had, but he faced death with mercy. And I think that God was merciful in his pre preview. 
In verses 54 through 56, we see that Stephen looks up in the heavens as he's taken out of town, as, as they put him up against the wall, and they prepare to throw stones at him until he dies. Stephen looks up in the heavens, and he sees Christ at the right hand of God the Father. Now that made the people who were executing him even angrier. Because when a person's executing someone, they want to see them beg. They want to see them cry. They want to see them, they don't want to see them suffer. But if a person's facing death with contentment and peace, that only frustrates them even more, does it not? <laughs> They're using death as a way to scare someone. But understand with Christ in our lives, we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so Stephen is looking up in heavens and he sees Jesus appearing to him, standing at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He catches a glimpse of heaven. Beloved, I believe that God allows people glimpses of heaven. I've seen too much. Now, some people, some people are, are against this. I heard a preacher on, on television today that seemed to be against this. But I've just seen too much in ministry not to believe in it. I believe that God gives us glimpses of heaven here on earth. I remember a, a, a woman at a previous pastorate who was at death's door. She was lying in bed, couldn't move a muscle. She had her husband holding her one hand. She had her son holding the other. And then right as she entered into eternity, she raised up in bed. She couldn't move, but she raised up in bed, had suffered a massive stroke, couldn't move. She raised up in bed with the biggest smile on her face, clutched the hands of both her husband and, and, and her son, and laid back down to go to be with Jesus. She had a smile on her face like you wouldn't believe. I've seen too many stories of that not to believe in it. I know Crystal has, working in the field she does. I've seen too many stories like that. I've seen my grandma Sisk. Uh, even, uh, she, she was over talking to, I believe, maybe an angel or maybe, I don't know who it was she was speaking to, but she had the biggest smile on her face. She knew that her time was coming close. and she, I couldn't see who she was talking to, but she says, he said he'll be back for me real soon. I remember her saying that. I've seen too much in ministry not to believe in that. Understand, beloved, I believe God gives us a preview of heaven before that time comes. I've seen it too many times not to believe in it. So Christ is merciful in his preview, allowing Stephen to see the glories of heaven before entering in. And he's also, Stephen is merciful in his prayer. Just like Jesus, Stephen prays, Lord, don't hold this charge against them. Look, look back, look back at the verse 50, uh, what is it, 50, uh, excuse me, verse 60. Uh, going back to verse 59. They stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60, then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And then he had, when he had said this, he fell asleep. Understand, beloved, grudges really should have no part with a Christian life. Amen? Amen? One more time, amen? <laughs> Grudges are poisonous to us, and Christ has forgiven us. He's forgiven us of a multitude of sins. For it is by grace that we're saved through faith, that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Which means, if you have salvation, you're not going to make God stop loving you. Did you know that? God's love is not conditional. It's not that you have to work up to receive God's love because you can never do it. I can never do it. But God's love is unconditional. That's what agape love means. And so God has given you a free gift in salvation. And just think about all the things He's forgiven us for which He's forgiven us. 
understand life is too short. It is too meaningful to live life with grudges. And when we pass into eternity, understand, beloved, we don't need to have grudges as we pass into glory. We need to let those things go because when we get a little taste of what heaven's going to be like, all those, all those things that have happened to us in life will become real nonsense. Amen? They're going to be meaningless compared to the glories that God has, 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 in, favor, has in store for us in heaven. I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered to the heart of an imagination of, of what God has prepared for us in heaven. So just think about that. That's one of the wonderful things about Christianity. That we don't have to just live in the here and now. We just don't have to just focus on the things taking place now. That we can look towards that future we have with God and understand that there's a heaven awaiting us that far exceeds any of the problems we may face in this world. Praise God for that. What type of impact will this make on a person's life? Well, if you look up Nabil Qureshi, it's a difficult name I know, but if you look up Nabil Qureshi, if you look up his book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, you'll, you'll find a link to his name. You'll find information about him. Nabil Qureshi, as I mentioned before the, at the beginning of the service, is a man who came to faith. He had visions of Jesus he, he was talking to Christians who led him to faith. guy, I believe, by the name of David Wood and Michael Lacona, I think, had a lot to do with his coming to faith. But he, also, he, he basically come to a point in time, he was a Muslim, he was raised a Muslim, he came to a point in time, actually, forgive me, I want to use this as a pretend Quran here. <laughs> but he came down in his bed, and he laid the Bible down, and he laid the Quran down, and he says, God, I want to know who you are. Is the Bible true or is the Quran true? I want to know. And if you're, and if, if Quran's true, I'll follow you. If the Bible's true, I'll follow you. That night, Jesus, he had a vision of Jesus. And he had a, over the course of the next week or so, he had visions, of, uh, dreams of Jesus that, that all showed the fact that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God, exactly who he said he was in Scripture. And he came to faith. But, the, but he didn't come to faith with only joy. He came to faith with mourning, knowing that many in his community would ostracize him, that he would lose a lot of connections, a lot of friendships that he had once had. And so he wrote this book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. He's written a couple other books. But a year ago, he was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And it's a long, arduous journey. He posted on YouTube 43 videos. And you can see as you look through the videos... You can see his health getting worse and worse as time goes on. But in his last video, I think really shows the work that God has done through Nabil Qureshi. He said in his final words on the final video he ever posted, Don't use my life, don't use my work to stir up hatred. Use it to stir up love. He says, there are people online who are using my book, who are using my materials to try to cause divisions, to try to cause anger, who are kind of trying to cause problems. He said, that's not what I want my ministry to be remembered for. Remember the love and peace that God gives to us. That is what I want my ministry to be remembered for. That's what I want my ministry to be about. And yesterday, from my understanding, God peacefully took Nabil Qureshi to his heavenly home. Let me just say, he's not only having visions of Jesus now, he's seeing the real deal. <laughs>
He's seeing, he's seeing Jesus for exactly for who he is, the Son of God Almighty. So, beloved, as you, as you looked at this today, I want, just, I want you to just take three lessons from this. Number one, trust in the Lord whether times are good or bad. I've said this before. You may be going through a difficult time, but rest assured, it's eventually going to come to a close. Trust in God in the good times. Trust in God in the bad times. Remember God's forgiveness of your sins before you seek to hold grudges against those whom have sinned against you. Christ forgave us, but He not only forgave us to, to, get, to go to heaven, He also forgave us so that we could have good relationships with our fellow man. Because remember, the two great commandments, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second likened to it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Number three, when facing death, remember the heavenly glory that awaits you. When you have loved ones who are in Christ who are facing death, remember that same hope for them. Because Christ has removed the sting of death by His glorious resurrection. And so as we have heard many people say before, for the Christian, we have a win-win situation. Till if we live, we continue to ministry here on earth. If we die, we get to live with Christ. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to come down and receive Him. This is your opportunity today to come and receive Him. Maybe God is knocking on your heart's door. Instead of saying like that little girl did, not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin, why don't you say, Jesus, I now choose to let you in. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and in your life, we just encourage you to, to act in accordance with the Spirit's calling. Maybe you'd like to come and join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. We'd be more than happy to have you. Whatever God is saying and doing in your life, we just encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit as He speaks to you today. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for this day that You've given us. We ask, Lord, that You would take this message and use it for Your will. If there's anyone here today that knows You not, we ask, Lord, that today that You would work on their heart and allow them to know of your love and your grace found only in Jesus Christ. Maybe there's someone struggling with a, a particular situation in their life today, and they just really need that comforting hand, they, they need that comforting hope, and maybe they just need to come and lay down all those burdens at the foot of your cross. We just encourage you, Lord, just to use this time of invitation for your honor and for your glory. We'll give you all the thanks and praise and glory for it all. Of course, in Jesus' name we ask all these things. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.
When I first wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict, truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth, can you know truth, but now it is. Some of the issues are different because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do. We had to rewrite Evidence Demands a Verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting, and we want you to be aware of that. We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor to be aware of the new evidence out there. To understand not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere, October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag true evidence. We're standing on the ground that for three years we have prayed that will one day be the site of the greatest Christian school in the world. We prayed that way. We believe God gave us this mountain for that purpose. I've said to these young people repeatedly and I say it again to you today. You are the hope of America. When you leave the graduation platform of liberty, I want you to leave it running. Leave it running with a vision burning in your soul. You're going to change this world for Christ. Don't look around and wonder who it is. Say, God, make it me. Make it me. Because we're training champions. That's a part of the vision. Write the vision, make it plain. We're training champions to change the world. Those words, spoken by Dr. Jerry Falwell, cast a vision that brought us to this mountain. Those who were around during the early years remember attending convocation in a 3,000-seat tent because no building on campus could hold all the students. Then there was the winter of 1977, when the building they'd been using for classes was scheduled for demolition. Their response was to stand in the snow for two hours, praying, Welcome to Liberty where we train champions for Christ. Welcome to a world of audacious dreams, a world where strong character is built with grit and grace, a world where men and women go out bravely to fix what's broken. What one man dreamed, his son built. Ten years ago, President Falwell picked up the mantle his father laid down, and the university has been flourishing in ways thousands of faithful dreamers had seen only in their prayers. Our tradition of unwavering faith is their legacy, because you are what they prayed for. 
Graduates, you will face seemingly insurmountable hardships and obstacles often throughout your career. At times, everything will seem hopeless and every fiber of your being will be screaming for you to quit and give up on your dreams. But persevering in those darkest hours is what separates the winners from the losers. Only if you press on will you achieve greatness. In less than 50 years, 154 students have become 110,000. Missed paydays have become a billion dollar campus, and what began as a preposterous dream has become the largest Christian university in the world. With elite Carnegie status and FBS football, oh, we're coming, and we're coming to win. But we're not leaving our convictions behind. We still have the privilege, the right, and the responsibility to show the world what Jesus looks like. We still believe that hard work, courage, and integrity define our faith as much as compassion and kindness. We are bold. We are innovative. We are faithful and diligent. We celebrate both our diversity and our unity as one family. At Liberty, the privilege to mentor the next generation of Christian leaders is not something we take lightly because virtues necessary for a praiseworthy life are not built overnight. They require scholars with determination, creativity, and a passion for wisdom. Our faculty have done great things, helped invent hearing devices for the deaf, done groundbreaking research on technology addiction, influenced the way crime labs use DNA analysis, they have written film scores, won Emmys, and made headlines in archaeology, philosophy, and paleontology. But their greatest legacy will be you. We defy the stereotypes that others try to impose on us. Your classmates are directing their own films, interning at NASA, and taking on poverty across the globe. While the world sees champions as only victors, we will reclaim the word and its meaning. We the champions, in order to affirm our tradition of unwavering faith, ignite a passion for wisdom, challenge perspectives, inspire creativity and pursue knowledge, do resolve to be the voice for the voiceless, bring healing to the hurting, fight for the oppressed, defend freedom, defy stereotypes, and follow God's calling wherever it may lead. It is who we are, it's what we stand for. It always has been and always will be. To learn more about Liberty University, go to liberty.edu.